So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke tonight. Um, but before we jump into the text in chapter 15, I just want to spend some time in prayer for the ministries in our church, but also for the other ministries um, and organizations and the other churches in our community that are also doing a faithful work of pursuing lost people with the love of Christ and discipling those who are in Christ to be more and more effective for the kingdom of heaven. So I just want to pray specifically, um, we see in John 17, Jesus talks about unity, and he prays for unity for his disciples. And if Jesus is praying for unity, I think we should as well. And so I just want to pray for unity for the different um, believers in our, in our community that are doing the Lord, Lord's work. So bow with me and let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord. And God, I just lift up um, the ministries here in our church and those beyond, Lord. I lift up the other churches and fellowships and congregations, Lord, um, that are doing your work, Lord. We have so many brothers and sisters in this community who love you, Lord, and God, who desire to honor you in their lives, Lord, by walking in obedience to the things that you are calling them to. And God, I pray um, just a spirit of unity that would just descend on this town and this community, Lord, that there wouldn't be division brought up by the enemy, but God, that there would just be um, an honoring of you, Lord, and a seeking to come together as your body, Lord, um, that we might be effective for your kingdom, Lord, and, and you might be glorified. And so we do pray that today, Lord. God, I pray that as we are in the Gospel of Luke this evening, Lord, looking at uh, one of my favorite parables, Lord, that um, the truth from your word would just, um, Lord, be very apparent to us as we look at it. And God, that um, you would move us in our hearts to have a right perspective of, of who you are and the great love you have for us. Father, we thank you for this time, and we ask this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, tonight we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, looking at the parable of the prodigal son um, and the significance that this parable has in the grand scale of what Jesus was doing during his earthly ministry as a whole, as well as the specifics of what is going on in this specific conversation that he's having, because the parable is a story he was telling to people. And so we're going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to jump to the parable of the prodigal son and the verses to follow. So I'm going to start by opening in Luke chapter 15, reading verses 1 and 2. Here Luke tells us, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So as we begin our study together, it's important to recognize the speaker and the audience. Jesus, our speaker here, is addressing two different types of people, or presumably two different types of people, although we're going to see that there, as we go through the course of the, the narrative and the parable, that they're really, they have the same need. But he's addressing both the supposedly spiritually elite, these scribes and Pharisees, these teachers of the law, as well as the spiritually needy, these tax collectors and sinners. Um, both parties here, the tax collectors and sinners, as well as the spiritually elite Pharisees and scribes, are both in need of what Jesus has to offer. And so Jesus, as he would do often throughout his ministry, he enters into a time of storytelling, and he's communicating to his audience in the form of parables. Now, understanding parables, Jesus taught in the form of parables to reveal spiritual truths of the kingdom of heaven, something that he communicated often, this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God coming down to earth in, in his form. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus was the fulfillment of the kingdom of God in earth. But he did it in a tactful way through parables um, that allowed 
for those who were receptive to understand, so those who had hearts to hear, to understand. However, for those who were of a hardened heart to the truth that Jesus had to offer and that he desired to communicate to them due to a desire for knowledge without an acceptance of the truth to these people, this, this second group, um, Scripture tells us, according to 2 Timothy 3.7, that they would perish in unbelief because they would pursue knowledge of God without pursuing relationship and intimacy in knowing him in a very relational way. And so my prayer for tonight as we look at that is that we wouldn't be those who are hardened of heart and just want knowledge without relationship. My prayer is that we would have ears to hear the spiritual truths that are offered in this parable of Jesus because I believe that they have implications both today as well as back when Jesus first spoke them. And so our audience is Jews in the first century that Jesus is speaking to. They're tax collectors and sinners as well as scribes and Pharisees who Interestingly enough, Scripture tells us that they are grumbling. They're, they're frustrated with Jesus. They're like, why are these guys getting an audience with Jesus? Because they're sinners. They're tax collectors. And tax collectors were viewed as despised by the Jews because they were Jews who were traitors, who had betrayed their fellow countrymen to go and collect taxes for the Romans. Jews weren't a big fan of the tax collectors. So as we look at this parable that Jesus offers to them and to us, we are going to, we're going to skip the first two parables because I want you guys to get out of here at a decent hour. Um, but the first two parables in Jesus' response, it's important for us to note that both the parable of the lost sheep, which we're going to skip, as well as the parable of the lost coin are communicating something of value being lost and yet found. And the parable before us, the parable of the prodigal son, communicates the same truth. And so we're going to Begin to read this parable, picking up in verse 11 of Luke 15, where Jesus says this. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between his sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, yet no one gave him anything. So here Jesus begins a story with three main characters that we see. We have a father, we have his older son, and we have his younger son. We're going to focus on the younger son again. And as we look at this younger son, we see that he is communicating to his father that he wants the share of his father's property that was coming to him. But in this, because the father's still alive, the younger son is communicating that he wishes his father were dead. As the Jewish tradition regarding inheritance communicated that once a father had passed away, his possessions were then passed down to his sons, starting with his firstborn, who received the birthright, and then trickling down to the other children. What the son is communicating is that he wants his inheritance now, instead of waiting and going on and waiting for it to come later. And what this is, this is an act of bold defiance to his father. That's a really hard thing that this father would have had to grasp. Maybe some of you parents in the room can identify when your kids have been like, I want this from you, mom or dad, and... It hit home because it was, it was hard because you felt the disrespect. You felt that they just wanted what you had to offer and not relationship with you. We're going to get more into that as we go on. So the son 
who wanted his possessions now instead of later, it says that he took that all that his father had given him. And that's key. The father was willing to give that to him. The father could have been like, no. But the father gave it to him. And it says that the son took what his father had given him. And not many days later, he spent it. He went out to a foreign country and he spent it in squanderous living. And scripture tells us that as the, the, once the younger son had spent it all, that there came upon the land that he was in, far away from his father, a famine. And it was in the midst of this famine that this younger son came to himself and he realized, man, I'm in need. But unfortunately, in the midst of his need, there was no one there to meet those needs. And so he attempted to meet them in the best way he could by feeding pigs, which would have been a despised position by Jews who saw pigs as unclean until the book of Acts when God allows that to be um, something that's edible to the Jews. But he's, he's feeding pigs, and then he's eating after the pigs. So he's not only just stooping to feed the pigs, but he's stooping to like the same level as the pigs, which was a very detestable position to be in. Now, let's leave our miserable friend, this younger son, with his head in the pig trough, and let's take a look at the heart of his father. Because this father is a man who's desiring to raise both his sons and to raise both his sons well, presumably like a Jewish father would desire to raise his sons, knowing the Lord and knowing the law of God. And this father would have been heartbroken to see that his younger son despised him enough to publicly shame him by saying to him, Dad, I want all that's mine that's coming to me, but I want it now. Such an act in the grand scheme of how Jewish culture works, which is a very relational and a very familial um, community, such an act would have resulted in swift rebuke and discipline that this young man deserved. And yet the father made a decision, and his decision was to take a personal loss in order that he might receive the greater joy of seeing his son reconciled. This is a neat opportunity that we're going to get to see unfold here. And so we have to recognize that there's a great love that the father has for his younger son to look past the short term and the, pers- the personal shame that would have been a public shame upon this father, to look past the short-term pain and into the glory of the long term of what is and was possible for his younger son. To take public shame in order that this father might show both his sons and all those who stood by watching the great depth of his unconditional love for his beloved son, for both his beloved sons, actually. This sounds like somebody else we know, doesn't it? We're going to get to that to go deeper as well. So the father gives. He gives of himself. He gives his younger son what the younger son thinks is rightfully his. But more importantly, he gives his younger son a chance for redemption, a choice that you and I have as well. You see, the father was a generous man, and This is what the son remembers in his time in the pig trough. Let's look and see as we continue on. In verse 17, we pick up, and it says, When the younger son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so the younger son arose and came to his father. We're going to pause there. Because we see here that the younger son remembers that his father's 
cares well, and is generous with even his father's servants. And for some reason to this younger son, based on the position that he was in with his head in a pig trough, he realized that that lot that the servants of his father had seemed to him far better than what the situation that he was currently in. And so the son writes up a speech, or he plans a speech to present to his father, and then he begins to trek home. But something to note about the speech that this young son communicates um, and is wanting to tell his father is that the younger son plans to be reconnected with his father on the basis of his own self-worth. Let's look and see what he says. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This speech reveals that the son still didn't fully understand the heart of his father towards him. That his father would and maybe only even consider him based on his own works. But this misunderstanding was soon to be changed. Pick up in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, this younger son traveling home to his father with a distorted view of his father's love for him, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. In these verses, we see that the father was watching and he was waiting and hoping and praying that his son would take hold of that choice to return to his loving arms. We see that the father saw the son first and he chose to make a public spectacle of himself yet again to show his abundant love to his son. He embraces him and he kisses him. He's not holding him out of arm's length, but he pulls him close, pulls him right close to his heart, putting him in a physical sense next to his heart where the son had always been in a spiritual sense. And the son begins his speech, but only gets two-thirds of the way through it, if you're following along, before he gets cut off by his father. Look closely at the part that goes unspoken, because the son's initial words were, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." That last line, treat me as one of your hired servants, is omitted from the son's speech. And I like to think it's because the father interrupted him. And I think the father interrupted him because the son could only fathom his father receiving him on the basis of his own self-worth. However, the father's desire was to welcome his son based on his view of his son and the value that he had as a beloved son of his father. This truth is evidenced by what happens Next, as we continue to read on, because a sinful son is clothed in righteousness in the father's best robe. You can go look at the parallels in Isaiah 61.10 that talks about being clothed in righteousness as a robe. A disqualified son who had openly defied his father is given the ring of kindness as a seal of his father's love. See Ephesians 1.13 to see how we are given a seal as well as believers. And a son who is determined to merely come back as a servant is elevated to a place of honor by having shoes put on his feet. And finally, a hungry son who desired to eat pods that the pigs were eating. This 
younger, this hungry son come back to his father, is fed with the best that his father has to offer. And so here we see in these actions of the father that the son is restored in his position as a son, in his honor, in his identity, all on the basis of the father's love for his boy and at continual great personal shame to himself. And this, my friends, is the heart that God has for his wayward children. Think back to when we started and we talked about how he was talking to tax collectors and sinners and then Pharisees and scribes. The story does not end here because there is still another son in need of help and seeing clearly the depth of his father's love for him. And so Jesus doesn't finish the parable here, but he continues on. In verse 25, we read this. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back home safe and sound. But the son was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated or implored him to come in. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you, gave me, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? This older son is in disbelief at his father's actions, and yet the father responds and says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found." So now we're going to shift our gears to the older son. We've talked about the father. We've talked about the younger son. But the older son needs some attention as well as we look at this story. From these verses, we see that he was out working in the fields, presumably with the mindset of earning his father's favor and affection through service. It says that he lived in the father's house, and yet for years he had grown accustomed to this idea that in connection with his younger brother's redemption story, The older brother truly failed to understand the true heart of what his father desired to communicate to both boys. And this is evidenced in two ways by this older son. It's evidenced in the first way by his refusal to go in and celebrate one who receives much in terms of what his father's love was offered to him, apart from the works that this younger son had had done, right? And second, we see this evidence of a hardened heart and a misunderstanding by the older son based on the answer he gives to his father in verse 29. Let's look at this answer again in verse 29. He says, Look, these many days, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This older son has this mentality that the things that he would get and had gotten from his father were on the basis of his own works, his ability to serve the father, his ability to obey when that's not what this redemption story is all about. That's not the heart of the father. The older son, he lived in the house with his father and yet misunderstood his own father's heart. That's a really sad thing. And my prayer is that we don't misunderstand our father's heart. Furthermore, we see that when we look back at the opening verses of the parable, something that is apparent as we read between the lines 
is that when the younger son speaks out defiantly and disrespectfully against his father's authority and against his father's headship, the older son's voice is silent. He does not speak. And that's important to recognize because it was the role of the firstborn son, according to Jewish tradition, the one who would receive the first fruit of his father's inheritance in the form of the birthright, to operate as a mediator or a representative in his father's household. According to Jewish custom, it was the role of the older son to act in the reconciliation of matters against his father. He was one to support and to go out and to do the work in agreement and unity with the father. Nowhere is the evidence of this scene in the parable. The older son is not doing what was right here. Not only did the younger son fail his father, but even so the older son did as well. In the same action, interestingly enough, two sides of the same coin. Neither sons were fit on the basis of their own works to have relationship with their father. And yet, we see the clear and abounding love of the father offered and made manifest to both boys. So our question tonight, because this is first century Jews that Jesus is speaking to, is what does this have to do with us? I think it has to do quite a lot with us. When we look at the gospel centrality of this parable in light of all that Jesus came to say and do, we begin to see more clearly that in the aspect of the redemption needed in this story, Jesus Christ himself comes to fulfill each aspect of redemption perfectly. This is the reminder that I believe we as individuals today, tonight even, need to ponder. For the younger son who ran away with all the blessings and goods his father had to spend on his own lavish desires, Jesus is communicating in this parable that he, Jesus Christ himself, came to be the extension of his father's love, bringing sinners and tax collectors to a place of repentance and restoration, to a completed and valuable view and uh, value through the lens of the Father's love for his children, not based on their work. We see this in, in Hebrews 10:14, where Jesus did come to be the completion of the reconciliation between his people and his Father. The way Jesus redeems and reconciles the relationship of the older son in two ways is as follows. For the older son who had the benefit of knowing his father on a relational level, had that opportunity presented to him, had knowledge of his father, was in the same household as him, and yet still had misunderstandings based on the own, his own blinders of his own works and his own pride. It is the love of the father extended to him as well to come in and celebrate with joy of the father when his lost sons and daughters come home. Right? And this is speaking to the spiritually elite that Jesus is communicating to. And finally, this position of elder sonship that is poorly held and poorly represented by the older son. Jesus came to redeem this and to fulfill this position as well. Scripture tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Scripture goes on to tell us in Colossians that in him the fullness of God chose to dwell bodily. So Jesus is the, the epitome of both God the Father but also of the older son. He is the, the elder son or the older brother of creation. Not one who is created but one who holds that position of first fruits and of being the one who redeems 
things for his father on his father's behalf. So when the oldest brother in the parable fails to do his duty to his father, Jesus' ministry was and is one that speaks out and advocates for his father to his wayward children. In this, we see the loving heart of our Savior all the more, who doesn't expect his younger brothers, you and I, his younger brothers and sisters, to be restored to our Heavenly Father on the basis of our own merit, but rather through the sacrifice of his own life, that his right standing before God might be offered to us. As we wrap up this evening, I want us to have that focus and recognize the reality that Jesus is not ashamed to silence when it came to his creation, his father's creation, that he was the first fruit and the, he was the firstborn over. He was not ashamed to speak out on our behalf at a personal cost to himself. That is the heart of our Savior. He speaks up on behalf of his wayward brothers whom he desires to see reconciled to the Father. And so as we close this evening, my, my prayer is that we would recognize that. And I want to share a quick passage from, from Hebrews chapter 2 just to close us out before we close out in prayer because it fits this idea of Jesus being our older brother. In Hebrews 2, verse 10 and 11, to close it says, For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And this is why he is not ashamed to call them his brothers. Jesus, we thank you that you are not ashamed. Jesus, that you were not silent, but Lord, that you were active and you knew before the creation, Lord, that, that you would redeem your creation. God, we thank you for your foreknowledge of how you desired to show your great love to us. Jesus, we thank you that you are our older brother who advocates for us both on the cross and and even now, as Hebrews tells us, Lord, as you sit at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. We thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you for your work even now, Lord, that you are not a stagnant God, but you are an active God. And I pray that as we we leave this evening, Lord, that we we would know of your great love. We would be reminded of the work that you are doing for us. God, would we know your heart even more clearly through your word tonight. We love you, Lord, and we ask this all in your son's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed night.